our final part in our series that we were working on, on free choice. It's actually only our, our third free choice class, so uh, okay. What we did during the first classes was we were trying to define what we mean when we talk about really making free choices and what makes a choice a really free choice. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So I'm looking around. Not everybody who's here right now was here for our first two classes. Many of you were not. I'm going to ask you to think back in your day or in your week. Think about when was the last time, maybe even today, that you remember making a choice that was a conscious choice that you had to think about. Okay? You have something in your head? Mm -hmm. About how long ago was it? No, I don't know. <laughs> okay. How many times a day do you feel like you're making choices? A lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that good or bad? It's good. Good, right? The reason we're put in this world, according to God and the Torah, is we're here to make choices. And that's why so much of our day is really spent making choices. Now, the question is, are all those choices that we make really ones that we get credit for, for being active choice. So, I'd like you to raise your hand if you didn't murder anyone today. Phew. Um, have you done a mitzvah by doing that? No. No. Yeah. Well, one of the Ten Commandments is, do not kill. So you actually fulfilled that commandment all day long. Now that means that you, you really should be getting credit or growth or spiritual mitzvot for 10 hours of the day that you haven't murdered. If you haven't murdered yet your whole life, imagine how much credit you get for those moments. Um, is there anybody today here who didn't steal? Great. That's another one of the Ten Commandments, right? Low to no. So that means, look how much spiritual accomplishment you would seem to be making day by day. However, Rabbi Bessler says it doesn't exactly work that easily. And he starts by giving us a marshal, an allegory, about a war going on between two countries. For the sake of clarity for today, we'll try taking two countries like Israel and Lebanon. When I went for my year to seminary in Israel, there actually was a real war going on in Le between Lebanon and Israel. I know for those of you who know your history right now, you're figuring out on But despite the fact that I was in Israel for 10 months, honestly, I was not worried or fearful at all the whole time. Now you might say, wow, she's a real tzaddikit. She was, I wasn't. There was a very simple basic reason why I wasn't afraid. And you, if you know anything about the dynamics of that war, you would know why I wasn't. The reason was, the battle that was going on was going on only at the battlefield between Israel and Lebanon. I was living in Jerusalem, out here. There, was no, there were no bombs, there were no 
shooting, nothing was happening over there. So even though I knew theoretically that Israel and Lebanon were at war, I didn't really feel that I was in a state of war at that case. How do they decide where a battlefield will be between two countries? The property value of the neighborhood that they want to blow up. <laughs> now, does, does um, Israel, before they go into Damascus, say, well, let's just see how uh, wealthy an area, how poor an area, where do they usually create, yes? How, well, with Lebanon and Israel, it's probably more like the border, like the places they're fighting over. You are right. Because Lebanon and Israel are bordering countries, everybody agrees that this part of Israel land belongs to them. Everybody agrees that this part of Lebanon belongs to them. The battle is right over here, where Lebanon is saying, we think this part, the Golan Heights, or the Galil, should really be part of our land. Israel is saying, maybe, we think this part of Lebanon really belongs to us. So, he says, even though, in theory, the two countries are at war, in practical reality, the battlefield is only a narrow a narrow territory. Can I go back to your, to your marker one more time? Do you have it handy? Sorry, I'm a teacher who always works with a board, so I, I create my own. So, even though Israel and Lebanon are theoretically both at war with each other, we might say the actual battlefield area is only a small strip between the two. So, my desk says, Throughout our day, we have to make hundreds of choices. As we make them, sometimes I have a voice in my head going on of truth. Sometimes I go on, I have a voice going on in my head that's a voice of falsehood. The real battles of our lives are the ones that take place at the border, meaning the ones where I can hear in my head going on, I really should do that. And then there's another voice in my head that's saying like, oh, but I really don't want to, or I'm really not in the mood. He says many of the choices that we actually make are not even in that battle strip at all, because part of it is already conquered territory. Just like in our example with Israel, nobody was debating whether Jerusalem should belong to Lebanon at that point. Everybody agreed that that was Israeli territory. There are certain choices that I may make in my day where I didn't even have to think twice about doing what was right. For example, not murdering. Did, did I have anybody today who got me a little bit annoyed and upset? Yes. Now, I may have had a choice at that point. Am I going to curse them out or not? Am I going to blow up and explode in rage or not? Now, for that, I may have had two voices going on inside my head. One that was saying, calm down, you don't want to express your anger in that way, watch the words you're going to say, but I am so mad and I don't want to... If that was going on inside my head, that was a free choice. But the fact that I didn't murder the person I got mad at today, yes, I did a commandment. I wasn't... I, I, I did one of the Ten Commandments, not murdering. However, I don't get that much credit of free choice for it because that wasn't even a debate in my head. That was something way beyond, way below my level of struggle and choice. Similarly, there are some areas in my life that are so beyond, that are so conquered by the, vols, by the voice of falsehood 
that I don't even struggle or debate as to whether I should be doing those things. Let's take a few examples to make this a little bit clear. Let's talk about somebody who grows up in Wyoming, grows up in a Jewish family, and um, the parents were totally secular, right? Non-observant. Now, she's 12 years old, and she never heard about the word Shabbat. However, she does know that she's Jewish. Now, if I would go over there and say, um, you know, did you ever consider keeping Shabbat? Her answer would be, Shabbat, I never heard of it. What is that about? Is that in her realm of free choice at that point? No. She doesn't have a voice of truth and a falsehood debating <coughs> in two directions. She never even considered either one at that moment. Now, I, on the other hand, am coming from the opposite extreme. I grew up in a religious home in New York where we kept Shabbat every week from the time I was, I was one. So did I ever think about Friday night, hmm, am I going to make Kiddush this week or not? There wasn't even a debate where I heard the other voice in my head because it was so natural for me to do it. Therefore, how much credit do I get when I make Kiddush Friday night? Some because I'm still doing something right. I'm still doing something good. The fact that I didn't murder and you didn't murder, that still shows something about our moral values and our moral standards. However, was that an active free choice? Only if I hear both voices going on inside my head simultaneously, then it's in the realm of free choice. So, like, I didn't grow up in, like, a religious household or anything, and, like, I keep Shabbat now. So, like... The fact, so the fact that I make a personal conscious choice to do it, like, how does that make it any more of value than someone who doesn't? Because we're still both doing the same thing. So it's a very interesting insight that Rabbi Desler says, and that is, when God judges us, He doesn't just judge us by some objective ruler of are you keeping Shabbat or are you not. What He really judges are how much are you making active choices in your life. So for you, if you are making a conscious decision to keep Shabbat every week, you are getting unbelievable spiritual growth and credit for doing that. For me, because that's not even a choice or a struggle, I'm still growing, but my growth is more minimal. Now that makes it sound unfair to who? To you. To me. Because then if I grew up knowing a lot, then I'm not even getting credit for all those good choices I'm making. No fear. But you start at a higher spiritual level than I do, essentially, because what you're doing already makes you, I feel like, not not a hierarchy per se or necessarily, but like it makes you a little maybe more spiritual than me to begin with, but I'm growing essentially to be like you. So what's interesting here is that Rabbi Desley says, when we leave this world and we get evaluated for our lives, it's not, we don't get evaluated based on where we are on the ladder, but how much we grew in that ladder. Which is an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable concept. And the way I always, can I Bobby one more time for one more of your papers? Thank you so much. She gets credit for all my meetings right now. When I try to diagram this, I often think, of the ladder of spiritual growth of life, every person starts off at a totally different place on the ladder. If we would give this numbers, 
10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. So, um, for the person, let's say, who grew up knowing that they were Jewish, but knowing very little about what Judaism means, they may be in level 20 in terms of actual detailed observance. I may have been starting off at level 50 because my family was keeping all those things. Now, if I grow from 50 to 60 through my life, and she grows from 20 to 40 in hers, when we both leave the world, she's at level 40, I'm at level 60. Who's at a higher level in the next world? Because she grew from 20 to 40, and I only grew from 50 <laughs> to 60. So the thing that we really, the, the thing that God really wants from us in life is really self-defining choices that make us into who we become. So the things that we really get credit and growth for are those choices. But that would make it seem again as if maybe it's really not fair to me. I have girls, I, I teach in, in Beis Yaakov schools, right? Very religious background. I have girls who say to me, I am really jealous of Balot Tshuva, of girls who grew up non-observant, because they're so impassionate and they're so inspired about what they're doing. And I feel like when they keep Shabbat, they're doing it because they really love it and need it. And like, for me, I just go through the, going through the motions. Isn't it harder for you to go up to 10 than it is for at 20 to go up to 40 because at that point your age for us more like at you like it's much more difficult to grow at a higher level that's an interesting point which is um when i made this ladder i made each rung equidistant of 10 levels the thing that defines the number of levels has to do with how much effort goes into it so i'm assuming that for her to get to 20 to 40 would have been the equivalent amount of effort as for me to have gotten from 60 to 80 on my, on my ladder. If it, if it took much more effort for me to get up, then I wouldn't have only gotten to 70, I would have gotten to 80 um, in, this, in this model. So, um, so, so do, do people who grew up observant still have a chance? Yes. <laughs> in yes. what way? Where, where is their area? Learning. They can be influencing of, you know, towards Baal Shuba, you know? Good. Number one, they can just be doing their own thing, or they can reach out to other people. Great. Maybe they can. Yes. Well, also, I was going to ask because it depends on how you define growth, doesn't it? Because it's like, is it just the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot is growth, or is it like internal growth of being a good person? Because in that case, you're on the same. I was going to say good, and you know, even if you talk about, let's say, I didn't decide if I'm going to make Kiddush Friday night, because we always did it that way. But during Kiddush Friday night, I had a choice as to whether I was going to be thinking about, oh, I have to get out the kugel, the salad, I hope uh, my things aren't burning on the stove, or if I'm going to think about, oh, we're now standing at the table, about to testify and acknowledge God's control and mastery over the world, I'm about to stand and give honor to Hashem through Kiddush. So maybe I didn't have a choice as to whether I was going to do it, but where my level of joy, focus, intense, internal kind of work is definitely still a choice. And for me, that can be equivalent growth as for the person who's deciding to do the kiddush. Okay. Go ahead. But is it only like, 
more like character. You're referring yeah. to like character oh, development. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And 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 that is going to that was number two. This isn't only about action. When we're talking about growth, we're talking about how patient am I? How angry am I? How um, how loving and compassionate am I? How selfish am I? Right? All these have unending. So basically, this ladder is an unending ladder, an infinite ladder, because God is infinite. And therefore, the potential for spiritual growth doesn't stop at any one particular point. Good. So let's take one other example to make this real, and then we'll try to talk about some of the implications of this. Um, okay. Let's talk about... Um, the case of honesty. Okay, so I go over to somebody and I say, "Is this girl an honest girl or not?" The word "honest" has very many multiple levels of definition. Right? Case number one: There's somebody who grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Harlem. This is not necessarily the picture, but let's say in this picture, this person's father, not only does he not have any type of education or degree, he doesn't really have a steady job. How does he really make money? Let's just say he goes out and he does some shoplifting, um, you know, once or twice a week, makes some money, brings it home. Now, this kid grows up, grows up in this kind of home. He goes through school. When he gets to the end of 12th grade, he has to decide what he's going to do with his life. Now, he needs money. There isn't too much money available at home. So what does he do? He goes into the store, and when he needs something, he goes and he shoplifts and takes it. For him, is that a free choice at that moment? Very possibly not. Not necessarily, but very possibly not, because this is such an automatic way that his standard of moral values was done that he didn't even think about it. However, let's say he's right in the middle of stealing, and as he's stealing, all of a sudden the security guard catches him midway, and he's like about to be caught, he has a gun inside his, his uh, pocket, holster, and he's going to take it out, and he's thinking, do I shoot or do I not? And then he says, I'm not killing him. He turns around and he runs out. At that moment, this guy in Hashem's eyes could be considered a tzaddik, even though he's in the middle of shoplifting, because for him, the voice of truth wasn't even there as to whether to shoplift or not. That voice was already conquered by his inner voice of falsehood. But he did have a struggle inside, do I shoot or do I not? Because he chose not to shoot at that moment, he lived up to his awareness of truth at that moment, and therefore he gets unbelievable credit for doing that choice. Now, that's level one. Level two, me. I could say, wow, I am such a righteous person. I have never shoplifted my whole life. So when I go to God at the end of time and he says to me, were you honest? I can say to him, of course, I never shoplifted. He will say to me, for you, that wasn't even a choice. I grew up in a home where the voice of truth was so clear that shoplifting is, is immoral or dishonest that I never even had a struggle to think about that. However, when I report my income taxes, and I am like making some of my money in cash by tutoring rather than teaching, and I have to decide, am I going to really put that down 
as part of my income, even though it's really not on my W-2 or not, do I have to report that? That's a struggle that I have to really debate and think through. So if I go to Hashem and say, listen, maybe I wasn't so honest in my income taxes, but I never pickpocketed, Hashem will say to me, dishonest, for your level of awareness of honesty, you didn't live up to your standard of where you should be. I'm going to give level three, and then I'll do the Level three. The, the Gemara tells us a story about one of the great rabbanim, his name was Rabbi Chista. So Rabbi Chista owned a very precious stone, and he was in the middle of praying, in the middle of davening, and some merchants came, and they were very interested in buying the stone. So they came and they said, Rabbi Chista, we will offer you $1,000 for this stone. He was in the middle of davening, he didn't answer. They thought he wasn't answering because he just didn't like the price. So they said, okay, 1500 He didn't answer. They said, okay, the top we'll go to is 2000 At that point, he finished opening, and he said to them, I will sell you the stone, but the price I'm going to ask you for it is $1,000. Because when you originally offered me the 1000 I already decided in my head that was a fair price, and I think that that is an honest choice for it. I will sell it to you for the 1000 Now, at this point... He didn't sign on any dotted line. There was no documentation. He didn't even verbally tell them, okay, fine, it'll be $1,000. But to him, his level of awareness of honesty was so developed that he said, if in my head I consider this a fair price, I have to live up to what I considered a real, honest, fair price, no matter what. Now, is Hashem going to say to me, I Kalazan, how come you didn't offer people better deals for your... Maybe not, I hope not, because he knows that my level, I never even would have thought, if I would have been in a Rosh position, I don't think I would have even thought of offering it for the thousand. I would have said 2,000, what a great deal, I'm so glad I got it, right? So for me, that voice was already conquered by my voice of falsehood. I didn't even hear the voice of truth going on in my head. That is above my free choice level. So when you say, is a person honest, what we're really saying here is, there is no objective standard of what we can call honest. For every person, it will have a different definition based on their level of awareness. Now, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. That doesn't mean that in God's objective Torah, there is no definition of honesty. That's called halacha. The Jewish law defines how do you know if this is honest or not. But I am responsible for my level of awareness learning, knowledge of that choice within honesty. Question. So I was just wondering, when it comes to, like, I guess, government laws, because they can be different in different states, different countries, are you also kind of judged as your honesty or any other character trait judged based on how you follow the laws of, like, of your country or your government, or is that not an issue like stopping at a stop sign, is that an issue of Hashem or is that not? Is it halakha? No. You want to answer that? Yeah, yeah, I think it's like, you know, you stop by a police officer and say, um, like, they can arrest you for just being ignorant of the law. You know, I don't think Hashem, at least I hope not, that Hashem doesn't count you against like what you don't know. You know, like you know not to steal, so he's going to count you if you do decide to steal. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that like, 
if you're ignorant of like a government law and you break it, anybody can say that they're ignorant and there's no way to prove that you know or do not know something. So they so like as far as like having like actual punishment, they're not they're not um, omniscient, um, omniscient um, mm-hmm. and like God is, so like there's no way for them to know. So for them, you can't claim ignorance because then everybody would do that and then there would just be no legal system. But like Hashem knows if like you're honest or if you're not, he he like knows everything. So right. now I think you were asking, does Hashem also hold you responsible for keeping yeah. the political legal laws? So there is a, a statement in the Gemara that says, Dina de Malchusa Dina. The law of the land is considered a law, even according <coughs> to, to Torah standards. Meaning, um, let's say there are laws about paying income taxes. So, I mean, there's a beautiful story about Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was one of the greatest Torah leaders during my time. And they... His shul once gave him as a gift a silver, a sterling silver kiddush cup in recognition and in token for all that he had done for the shul. Um, a few weeks later, they found him at a um, silver shop or a pawn shop, and they were at. He was asking the owner if he could please weigh the silver cup and tell him the monetary value of it. So the the congregants were like. That's what our rabbi is doing. He wants to know, like, how the, how, how much the, the... So he said, when I report my income taxes this year, there's a certain amount that I'm allowed to be able to receive in gifts. Anything beyond that, I have to claim. And I want to know if this is something that I have to claim and put down in my income taxes. So they're, they're, they're... Now, did that mean that if a person at 3 o'clock in the morning goes through a red light and there are no cars coming, is he halakhically responsible? I'm not even sure that the legal law of the land would really hold him responsible for that, so I don't think you know that would be a real problem. But um, these are interesting halacha questions to ask. I'm not, you know, rabbi, so I don't want to give any, any bottom line halacha on that. Now, one point you brought up that I do want to just elaborate on is you say that not knowing. I gave the example of the kid in Harlem who's still shoplifting, and you said he's not responsible for that because that's not even in his moral value choice. By the time he's 35, should that be in his level of moral value choice? It should. So when you talk about like ignorance, ignorance can last till a certain age in terms of responsibility. At a certain point, a person is responsible for their own self to do some investigating. So let's say, um, I know that I'm Jewish, but I have no idea what being Jewish means. And my parents decided that they're going to send me to some Jewish after-school program, right? Now, for them, was that a choice? Absolutely was. Now, for them, they may not have ever thought about keeping Shabbat or not keeping Shabbat. But for them to invest tuition to send me to that Jewish school was a real choice. And therefore, they may be on the level of a tzaddik for their level, even though they may may not be keeping Shabbat. Now, if I went to that Jewish school and I learned a little more, I'm starting one level up on my ladder of choice. So therefore, for me to, let's say, just send my kids to Jewish school may be less of a choice, because for me it's like unautomatic. But then my choice will be, am I going to try to put into practice some of the things that I am learning there? My kids may grow up at an even higher level for that, too. Now, this also means 
that the choices that we make will have an effect on where on the ladder our children will begin their own journey, right? So, if, and this is true of practical observance and of internal work, right? Like, if I have a, an anger issue and I'm always blowing up at my kids, in anger, they may be starting on level 20. They may be really good, though, on kindness and giving because I'm a very loving, giving person. So on that, they may be on level 60. Now, what I just said was, we're not all on one level in all spiritual areas. A person could be at level 60 in chesed, level 20 in davening, um, level 40 in patience, right? In every area, they could be different things. But if I really try to work on my character trait of anger, and my kids grow up in a calmer home because of that, then every time my kids don't have to struggle with that, I get continued credit for all the growth that they have because of me. So let's say I do send my kids to a Jewish day school, and then they start saying brachot before they eat. So the mother who sent the kids to Jewish day school has made it easier now for her children to make good choices. When her grandchildren are making brachot on automatic, and they're not even debating inside, it's not a free choice for them, that grandparent is still getting all the credit for the choices she made, which are impacting the grandchild onward, which really has unbelievable magnitude in terms of the power of the choices that we are making in our own lives, because we don't even see the unbelievable ripple effects onward for generations afterwards of the choices that were made previously and the choices that we are making now and the continued credit of, of, of how that affects on you. Maybe I should just give you one, one, one image of this. You know, it says that when a person leaves this world, every person goes through a day of judgment for their own lives, right? They have to go through every, every word, every action, every, every thought, every deed that they did. But it says that at the end of time when Mashiach comes, there's going to be tchiyat hametim, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, and at that point all the people who were alive will come back to life, and it says there's going to be a great day of judgment at that time, where every person is judged for their deeds, for their thoughts, for their actions. What's the obvious question? They already have it. They already had it at the moment of death. They didn't yes. do anything bad or anything good from the moment of death till Mashiach came. Why do you have to go through the whole judgment again? You know the answer. But the answer is, at the day of death, all that can be evaluated is the person's impact and choices in their own life. At the end of time, in Mashiach's time, we'll be able to see the ripple effect of all the choices that I made on my children, on my grandchildren, on my friends, on the people around me. And at that point, a person can get the reward and the pride and the triumph for all the effect they had, and God forbid, the, the shame of, of facing the impact of, of the negative choices that we made, unless the person did do tshuva for whatever that negative choice was that they made in the past. Quick question. Um, if, uh, you know, like 200, 300 years ago, there was no such thing as like reform, conservative, but we were all observant Jews. So how does the ladder metaphor apply in that time that's really everybody's kind of keeping. So, I mean obviously people can always grow and, but it's totally different now, right? We're talking about Right, that is true. 
Now, I think a lot of the growth that people are involved in is in terms of, let's say, more technical observance areas. But if you read through some of the struggles they had back then, it's interesting because they're very similar struggles, but they manifest just at a different level of self. Meaning, it says that the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because people were serving Avodah Zarah, they were serving idols. Now that's something that nowadays, I don't think anybody in this room has had a struggle or deal with doing that, right? But at that time, that was an intense spiritual struggle for them because they were so spiritually aware that people felt a very strong draw to wanting to live life spiritually. And then the question was, which spiritual track were you going to take? And Avodah Zarah was actually a lot easier to feel certain spiritual highs without having to put in a lot of that work. So there, there, were, there were struggles on, on very different levels. In terms, of, People were keeping Shabbat and kosher, but Eliyahu Hanavi says to them, how long are you going to keep living in two worlds of keeping Shabbos and kosher and then going and serving the Baal, who's the name of the, the other Eliyahu Hanavi, simultaneously? So um, the struggles were, were different and yet, yet the same. What I want to stop and do for a few moments then is try a quick exercise. I'm going to give you a sheet of paper. I hope it, does anyone have a pen with it? Yeah, great. or zones mapped out. The top is above my level. This would mean choices that are, are not, I don't even have a struggle about thinking about wanting to grow in those areas because they're like above what I'm thinking of right now. So like not killing somebody. That would be, like be below my level. Below. Above my level would be um, weighing the silver kiddush cup. It's about mine. Giving him the precious stone. Too advanced for you. Like offering him this precious stone for $1,000 instead of the $2,000. That's above. My battlefield is going to be those choices where I do have two voices going on inside. I can hear both, and I'm really still struggling in those areas. <laughs> And then I have things that are conquered territory. Conquered territory means for me that's below me. I, I, it's on automatic already. Now I want to point out there's some that might be kind of near the borders, right? Like there's certain things that are pretty much conquered, but I still have a little bit of a struggle inside myself. You can kind of put those like on the lower end. There may be certain things that I don't really think about doing because it's really above me, but every once in a while it pops into my head, maybe I should work on this, right? That would be kind of on the top edge over there. So what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to, and this is only for you, you don't have to give this in, but it's just an exercise to try to find out for yourself which are your, this is what's called nikudat habechira. In Hebrew, my point of free choice. 
I'll repeat again. In Hebrew, it's called nekudat, which means the point of habichirat. Habichirat, a free choice. And my point of free choice means those areas which are, are my battlefield, where I hear two voices going on at once. So, um, example number one. Eating kosher eat in my home. Keeping kosher in my home. Just map it out for yourself, wherever that is for you. Keeping kosher in the home, you said? Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Keeping kosher when I'm eating out. Keeping kosher when I'm eating out. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe you want to differentiate meat or dairy, so maybe you want to put... Kosher out meat on one of your bones, kosher out dairy on the other one of your bones. Um, giving money to charity. Giving money to charity. Giving money to tzedakah. Making kiddush on Shabbos. Making kiddush on Shabbos. Oh, yes, thank you. Yes, hearing or making, being, making sure that I've been part of the kiddush. Like I don't even consider doing it right now. It's not so, like it's, it's it's above what what I'm struggling with. Like I'm not even thinking of that right now. To advance. To advance. Like an AP class. Okay. Um, making making or being part of Kiddush Friday night or on Shabbat. Making or hearing Kiddush on Shabbat. Okay. Next one. Saying blessings or brachot before I eat. out my mom. Getting married to a Jew, marrying a Jew. <laughs> Next one, not driving on Shabbat. Not driving on Shabbat. Okay. Me going in a car or me personally? I'll make it not. I'll use it as driving. 
because there is a different level of severity to actually do the driving. But like she said, like what if we don't have access to a car? Oh, then it's out of your future. You make it going in a car, then I guess for you. If you were at home and there was a car there, would you drive it? Oh, no. Going to classes to learn Torah. Well, you're all here right now, so I guess it's not above anyone's here. It's either on your battlefield or it's below. Next, doing something special in honor of Shabbat. Meaning, preparing something, putting on nice clothing, washing or showering for Shabbat. Next, not gossiping, not speaking less than Haram. taking your mom or your dad to places they need to go, like escorting them to driving them somewhere that is actually a mitzvah. Like a pharmacy? Yeah, whatever they need done, whatever errands they need done. Like if your mom is sick and she wants you to take them to the doctor, would you go with Is this like a hypothetical scenario? Or like, I mean, I don't know. So maybe that's a non-choice for you. Okay, next one, praying. Praying, doing some type of prayer on a weekly basis. <laughs> Three more. Now, these are not going to be actions. Some of these are going to be, as you said, Mido, to be inner work. I feel superior to others. Did you put that in my battlefield, above the, my battlefield, or below my battlefield? I feel superior to others. Meaning, is that something you struggle with? Yeah. <laughs> Do I often find that, like, I have a hard time with feeling in your sense of snobbiness like or humility like superiority. arrogance? So, like... So if you do think you're superior, you put it here. Yes. Yes. Next, I am careful not to cheat in any form. Still be too much. In the area of male-female relationships, I feel spiritually healthy. Are you talking about showing it here? I, I made it broad enough that every person can evaluate their standard. Like it could be for you, for one person it could be Shadrachia, for one person it could be um, what level of, um, how far they will go. For some people it will be not not having any um, social relationships. Each person has their own, their own 
definition and level on that too. Last thing, it is hard for me to say something that is a lie. Lying. Maybe we should put it that way. Even if it's a protective white lie? <laughs> <laughs> that might be battlefield. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you're that allowed to like, lie to protect yourself. So I'm not talking about in times that it's forbidden. It is, but it's a lie. Right? Every time it's a lie. Okay, so what you just did is kind of, you now know for yourself, the areas when you are doing those choices that are in your battlefield, every time those choices are occurring, you are growing spiritually as a person because those are real choices for you. So it's almost like, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of a doing something, and you feel like, oh, I don't know, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, and you feel that, like, knot in your stomach of, like, I don't like this feeling, I don't like having to make this choice, you should now have, like, a neon sign going on in your dashboard that's saying, this is my Nakuda Tabakira, this is my point of free choice. If I make, this, the fact that it's a struggle, the fact that it's hard, means that for me, I'm hearing two voices going on inside my head at the same time, which means this choice will have the potential to move me in either direction. Sometimes it's a very hard choice. Sometimes it's not even so hard. But even the fact that I just have an alternative voice going on in my head and I overcame it, means that that choice really was one of value and potential for me in either way. Does a person's point of free choice remain static or steady? No. 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 So what happens is, the Torah tells us, I don't have my board, so you'll have to write it, you'll have to imagine it, mitzvah, goreret, mitzvah. Mitzvah, goreret, mitzvah. Literally it means, one mitzvah pulls another mitzvah with it. Goreret. Gimel vav, resh, resh, taf if you're writing it in Hebrew. Go reret. The opposite is also true. It says, this is it all from, from the Mishnah in Avot, in Pirkei Avot. It says, Avera, go reret, Avera. And a sin pulls with it another sin. Now what that means is that every time I make a choice that's positive, it becomes slightly easier for me the next time I have conquered a little bit more territory. So going back to our image, here's my Israel and Lebanon, right? Here's my truth and falsehood. Let's say I am working on trying to do Kiddush on Shabbat every week, right? So maybe um, I'm in the middle of having yoga class that comes up Friday night and I have to debate, am I going to go to my yoga class or am I going to go to a place where they're making kiddush? For me, that is a real struggle and I have to debate it through. If I skip the yoga class and this time I go to kiddush, the next time it's going to be slightly easier. It's not out of my realm yet, a free choice, but it'll be slightly easier to make the choice to make kiddush again because maybe I enjoyed it, maybe I felt good about it, maybe I... It, now, if I do that same choice repetitively again and again, I am slowly letting my voice of truthhood conquer that voice of falsehood in that particular area. And this is the way we grow in life. Every time we make good repetitive choices, it becomes easier and easier to make those same choices again. Then, do I have any free choice still? Sure I do. On my next level of free choice. So, we have to know that because we're human and we live in the finite realm of time, the choices go very slowly, right? I mean, I know 
my daughter is in fifth grade. She came home with a plant one day from school. They were doing this for science, and she was really excited because it was like it grew nicely and it was you know green and straight. And she decided she had taken care of this plant. So you know she comes home, she waters it, and what happens? You know the next day she's waking up in the morning and waiting to see it grow. And of course there's like no instantly no change, right? She finally, you know, it was disappointing for the first two days, three days, but after two or three weeks, she was able to get used to the fact she's not going to see any growth, but after two months of doing it, she was able to look at it, and we were able to measure, and we were able to say, hey, there's another centimeter of, of, uh, of growth on your plant. When we make choices, it's not like, just go and hear Kiddush three times, and then you're, you're good. Every time you work on something, it takes repetitive work, and the repetitive work is very often looks like that, right? A little stronger, a little weaker. A little stronger, a little weaker. But we all know that if you're taking an EKG and you want to see if the heart is working well, a, a f well-functioning heart looks like that, right? What happens if it's a straight even line? You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> so in life, we're not just like steady. I'm always just going to be perfect in this thing. Normal growth will involve those ups and those downs. But I have to stop and pat myself on the back every time I did make a choice, even if it was a small internal one, that took effort for me, and then I really overcame it. I have to just remind myself, well, I just changed myself, my children, and my world through making that choice. Unfortunately, it works in both directions, right? So when a person makes negative choices, it becomes that much easier to make those negative choices again and again, and then it becomes a little harder to pull oneself out of that, too. And therefore, when I'm, when I'm battling to even just try to maintain or stay steady, I have to realize there's tremendous value to that struggle of not flowing, because it just becomes harder afterwards to pick oneself up. Questions or comments till here? Yeah. Are we considered a fault though when we when we fall in like a level, or is it just like it's just gonna be harder to get up, or is that considered like a failure? A failure. So it's a little tricky because sometimes it may have been something that I really was not able to overcome yet at that point based on where I'm at, in which case I may not have any blame or failure for it. Sometimes, if I would have really battled a little harder and been a little more committed to it, and only Hashem who's omniscient can really know what level of responsibility I have, then Hashem may say, you know what, you, you pulled yourself down. So, I'll tell you a true story. There's a rabbi in Israel who's known as Rabbi Boyer. And he, was, he used to go and visit prisons. So, he visited one inmate, and the inmate said, come here, take a look outside my cell window. He looked outside, there was 20 feet a barbed wire fence outside. He said, you see that wire? Not only is there 20 feet of wire, but that wire is electrified. It's really solid. Beyond that wire is a 30-foot watchtower with his security guards who are watching. But, do you know that I escaped from this jail three times through all this? That's why he was proud to show it to me. <laughs> and he's like, wow, pretty amazing, right? He said, but I have to tell you that even though I have been able to get out of prison, I haven't been able to get prison out of me. Because I kept, the reason I keep getting sent back here is I have an addiction, and 
every time I get out, I end up stealing again to be able to feed the addiction that I have, and I can't get it out of my system, and therefore I, I keep repetitively going back. Sometimes we fall into those kind of, you know, I can break free, and then I'm disappointed in myself because I just feel like, well, I, I fell over again. One key, though, is if I keep myself certain limits or certain boundary points where I don't let it start, it becomes easier not to fall into those patterns. So, you know, everybody has their own, their own point of where their limits are going to be. But I know, like, I, I, I even have this, this discussion at home a lot with one of my kids. He's 17, um, and he really enjoys watching all different types of movies, rated all levels of movies. But okay, he watches R and he watches A. Now, I sometimes say to him, like, this cat there and murdering anybody. Now, I'm not really concerned that he's really going to go out and murder somebody. But the things that we hear and watch and internalize moment by moment affect our mindset and the way we think about life. Well, next time, when I'm asking him to be a little more sensitive to his sister's feelings and be a little more thoughtful and kind, if he just watched somebody behead somebody or shoot somebody, it's very hard to talk about compassion, sensitivity, and kindness. So what I'm really telling him is, set yourself, find yourself certain borders of places you don't want to go into. Or, you know, when somebody's on a diet, they're like, I don't even want to get near the sweets table at the wedding. Because once I'm there, my nakudat habachira, my point of free choice, is right at that debate with the chocolate mousse or the praline pie or the... If I don't, if I keep myself away from the sweets table, I'm not even getting myself into that point of free choice. So one safeguarding tool is, if I'm, if I'm in a place where I don't have the struggle yet, I may not want to put myself into societal situations which will arouse that choice and make it a harder one for me later on. Okay. I think we covered most of the points that I wanted to share with you tonight. If there's anybody else who has any comments or insights you wanted to... I am I'm glad you you're you're clarifying that because I, I it, this could be I, I can leave everyone with a misconception. I don't mean to say that in Hashem's eyes there is no absolute truth of honesty. There are very clear cut laws and halachas in the Gemara about how do you know if something is honest or not. Now sometimes people just say I'd rather not find out. Because if I know the halacha, then now it's a point of free point, point of free choice, and now I have a struggle, and now I'll just write over it. The only problem is, though, that ignorance is it's not good. Because if there are certain things that are really negative, not knowing about them is just really damaging myself. Example, um, when my youngest son was learning how to walk, we live on a second floor. We have 
15 steps up. Now this kid was clueless about gravity. So what his idea of fun was like, hey, let's go to the top of the steps and try to slide, jump, right? Now, he was in ignorance is bliss land. He just thought, great, I don't want to have to find out about this gravity and all these limitations. I'm having a great time. But he doesn't realize that the one he's damaging is himself by not knowing that. So it is very important when I know that there's a question in, in absolute truth or not absolute truth to try to find out what it is. What I meant to say was, even once I'm keeping halacha, Hashem, only Hashem who is omniscient, can really evaluate what a person's own level within their ability would be. So if there's somebody who never heard about Shabbat, even though absolute truth may be to keep Shabbat, they may not be responsible for it on their level yet, because they may not have been able to access that at that point. On the other hand, even though I am technically keeping Shabbat, because that's not a choice for me, Hashem might say, you can go higher. For you, keeping Shabbat technically is not enough. At your Shabbat table, are you having words of Torah that are inspiring? Are you singing Zira? None of those are lost, but those will change and up the quality of the Shabbat table. So every person will have their own individual standards within the framework of absolute truth of what their own standard could be. Thank you for coming. Sure. Okay, have a great week. Make some great